Tetniel's new book, Supercontinent, deals with the grandest pattern in all of nature, the supercontinent cycle, which can last over half a billion years between the formation of one supercontinent, its breakup, and eventual reformation. Along the way, the reader will encounter the lost city of Atlantis, houses that disappear down holes in the ground, mystics and charlatans, Lewis Carroll and ring-tailed lemurs. In addition, Ted introduces some of the most advanced science of today, reconstructions of almost unimaginably distant pasts from the geological record, and projections into the far distant future. He begins the book and introduces the notion of a supercontinent by imagining in the far distant future a space traveller coming to Earth. I began by asking him what that space traveller might find. Well, I imagine somebody um, visiting our solar system in 250 million years' time. Now, if we were to go backwards in time, 250 million years, the dinosaurs would be roaming the Earth, and uh, there would have been one gigantic continent on Earth, uh, stretching from the North Pole to the South Pole. And it, was, it has been named by its discoverer, and it was called Pangaea, which means all land. Of course, what this book is about is those conditions of the Earth when that happens. And 250 million years from now, Pangaea, in a sense, will have come back, but it won't be the same continent. It'll be a different supercontinent, where all the current continents will have collided with each other on the other side of the, of the Earth, effectively. The Pacific Ocean will have vanished, will have been swallowed up around the Pacific Rim of Fire, and America will have crashed into East Asia. South America will have wrapped itself around the bottom of India, uh, and so we'll have a large continent, mostly in the Northern Hemisphere, about the shape of a Cornish pasty. And it's going to be desert in the middle and very lush on the outside. And it'll be a very, very different planet. And I've, I've always found when trying to explain geological deep time, it's, it's often easier to do it by imagining things in the future when present things that we're familiar with will no longer exist. And among those familiar things are ourselves. Uh, well, indeed. I mean, it's extremely unlikely that in 250 million years uh, our species will still be around. Species just don't last that long. Can you explain what the forces at work are which produce this activity on, on the Earth's surface and, and beneath the Earth? Mm. Basically, the, the Earth is a, is a gigantic heat engine. Um, it, 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 it's always evolving heat. We know this. We've known this for many years, centuries. Mines are hot. Caves are cold, but mines are hot. And the deeper you go, the hotter it gets. So we know that there's, there's, there's heat coming out of the Earth all the time. The Earth has a, has a metallic core, but around that, the, the biggest part of the Earth is the, is the mantle, which is solid, not liquid as many people believe. But although it's solid, it's under enormous pressure, of course, which is why it, 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 isn't, it, isn't, it isn't molten. But it does move, and the, it, it moves by convection. And as it, as it comes up to the surface of the Earth with this very, very thin continental skin on it, the, 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 the lithosphere, as geologists call it, now that outer skin is basically carried along by convection currents in the mantle below. So you, you, have, you have rising plumes of, of hot rock from the core which then hit the crust and which have to go somewhere, so they move sideways and that's what causes, uh, for example, the, uh, the Atlantic to continue opening. You have, you have rock rising underneath the mid-Atlantic ridge and then it, the flows of the mantle rock on either side of the, of, of the ridge basically pull the, the ocean apart. 
uh, and the, the ocean floor is continually remade along, along, the, along the scar. Now, because the Earth has to get rid of its heat somehow, you can imagine what it's like when you, it's, it's a warm day and you've got a hat on. If, if you can imagine the Earth with a supercontinent stuck, stuck on it, it's a bit like somebody with a hat on on a warm day. The, the, the heat will always be, it will always be coming out, uh, and, and it comes out at a rate that's constant. Now, it can be lost through the ocean basins quite quickly, but like a hat, the continent uh, has, has an insulating effect. And what, the geolo what geologists think is that be be they are inherently unstable for that reason. So they are bound to break up, they're bound to fragment, and that's what keeps the whole process going. So now we're halfway through a cycle. We've got all these continents, they're all moving, racing apart. And when uh, you say racing, uh, well, we're uh, talking about... It's about the speed your, your, your toenails grow. They're all moving apart, and basically there's going to be some kind of a big crunch. We don't know, quite know what it's going to be like. It could be that they race around the other side of the planet and crash into each other there, or it may be that having opened, they then decide to go back again. Both processes are known uh, to happen, but there will be a big crunch. And when there's a big crunch, that supercontinent will then be inherently unstable because of this insulating effect, which will bear the seeds of its own destruction. Now, your book tells the story of the Earth from its origins and into the far distant future. It also tells the human story uh, of how we came to know about the Earth. And if we went back not much more than 100 years and you explained what you just explained, that scientific orthodoxy wouldn't, wouldn't, have, mm. um, wouldn't have nodded approvingly. Oh, yes. I mean, well, you don't, wouldn't have to go that far back, really. I mean, I, I can remember when I... I started studying geology. That was just after the time when plate tectonics um, had vindicated geologists' suspicions, really, that the continents had moved. Uh, that was in, in, the, uh, in, the 60, in the 1960s, and I was learning geology in the early 70s when it started to sink in, really, into the curriculum. But the idea that the breakup of Pangaea 250 million years ago was part of a bigger process hadn't, hadn't yet sunk in at all. In fact, it was one of the things that Alfred Wegener was challenged um, on when, when, when he published his, 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 his ideas about, about Pangaea breaking up and forming the present pattern of continents. Why, they said, would Pangaea suddenly decide to break up if it had been stable for all that time? Why should it suddenly decide to smash itself into pieces? Can you go back a stage and say how Wegener, who was an Austrian mm. geologist who was mm. writing uh, in the, the early years of the 20th century, how did he come up with the idea that there had been a supercontinent in the past, which he christened Pangaea. Mm. Well, Wegener really was, was um, alerted to this possibility. The way that most people are who, who, who look at a map of the Atlantic, he just saw that the sides fitted. And he immediately leapt to the conclusion that the simplest, most economic explanation of that must be that formerly these continents were, were joined together. And it was just the fit of the continents. And he admits this uh, at the beginning of his, of his great book. And he wasn't the first to see the fit. That, 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 had been, that had been visible for a long time, but he was the first to press the, yes. the case more scientifically. That's right. And, and, and he started then to, 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 to gather evidence that could be explained economically by the idea that the continents were once touching. And there was already a huge wealth of evidence around, which came mainly from the, the, the biogeographers, the people who went out to look at flora and fauna in, 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 the, in, the, in the imperial past, and going off to India and Burma and places like that, and looking at what animals were where, 
and mapping them out on the present globe and seeing that the pattern just didn't seem to make any sense. There were, there, there were, there were things that were too far apart um, for, for being so small and similar. Lemurs, for example. Uh, why would you find almost identical lemurs in Madagascar, uh, Sri Lanka and, and, and the Far East? There they are, isolated populations, but they're almost identical. So, so how could they be so far apart? Lemurs can't swim. Well, not that far. Um, so that was very difficult to explain. And then there were things that were extremely different, but which were very, very close together and separated by deep channels of water and that kind of thing. So how could you explain that? That was very So things that were too similar to be so far apart and things that were too different to be so close together. And, of course, the answer to all this was that the continents had moved in the meantime, carrying their, 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 their faunas and flora with them. But that explanation was not available at the time. But it was all there waiting for Wegener to come along and put it all together into a great synthetic theory. In less than a century, it's astounding how much progress has been made such that scientists can project not only what the next supercontinent will look like in 250 million years, they can actually take a stab, or more than take a stab, at imagining what the one after that might look like in 750 million years, mm. which I think will, will baffle most lay people as, as, as a concept. And how, how do you begin to postulate where the, the Earth will or whether the contents of the Earth will, will be in 750 million years from now. Well, of course, projecting things into the future is exactly like trying to reconstruct them in the past. The further you go, the more uncertainties come into the whole process. It's very easy to reconstruct Pangaea, the last supercontinent, because basically the fragments of it are still they're all around us. All you have to do, you, 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 have the, you have the ocean basins, we know exactly what rocks are where there, we know how they opened, and so you can just push them back and you can you can you can push them back to where they used to be you can close up the Atlantic uh, you can move India down so that it nestles down around uh, around um, uh, southern Africa and so on and it's very really quite easy to do that it's just a matter of eliminating the oceans that have opened since Pangaea broke up if you go back if you've then reconstructed Pangaea in, in, in the past you then know where all the mountain ranges were and you can then speculate about what supercontinent broke up sent its fragments racing across the globe and then formed into Pangaea, you can start to do that by looking at the conformation of the mountains and the, the old oceanic sutures and so on. Um, so we, we, can, we can have a fairly good stab at the previous supercontinent to Pangaea, which has been named as well Rodinia. And Rodinia is the continent, supercontinent on which complex life, and that's us of course, started to evolve. So our own story of course is very much associated with this. Now, the next supercontinent from now, in 250 million years' time, well, there are some uncertainties, and of course there are different processes at, at, at work. Um, it could be that the Atlantic will go on widening forever and become the new Pacific, if you like, and the Pacific will disappear. That's the model that I've used in, 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 in the book. Other people um, speculate that maybe the Atlantic will close again, and we will get subduction processes starting along the eastern seaboard of the United States and eventually in North America will come crashing back into Europe again. So it's a little bit like a, a, simu a reality simulation game where you've got yeah. certain decisions you've got to make yes. and based on those, that's other right. consequences follow from that. That's right. And there are always points in these reconstructions where somebody has to make a decision what, as, as to what might happen next. Um, you, can, you can only project backwards or, or, or forwards 
um, by five or ten million years. If, you, if you're going a bit further, you then have to make a decision, does subduction start or does it not start? You, you mentioned that our own human story was related to the, the movement of, of the continents. Can you say a little bit more about that and the conditions that, that came about because of the, the continents' movements that, that may have given birth to complex life on Earth? Mm. Well, it's, it's highly speculative, of course, but we do know that uh, complex life that is consisting of many cells rather than just bacterial mats, because if I just go back a little way, most of the life on Earth today is single-celled. Most of the biomass on our planet um, is made up of bacteria. But it's bacteria that rule the world. We only think we do. And bacteria have been here for billions of years. And, in fact, there were only bacteria on Earth for billions of years, from the very origin of life uh, right up to relatively recently in geological time. But something did happen. After all that time, millions of years of slime, suddenly something happened, and that was the time when the previous supercontinent to Pangaea was, was, was existing, somewhere in the southern hemisphere. And, uh, this, and in fact, the, 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 this supercontinent is called Rodinia because uh, it's related to the, to the Russian word Rodina, which means um, birthplace or, or um, country of origin, motherland. Uh, supercontinent worlds are very different from the sort of worlds we have now. They're, they're extremely contrasted. Uh, you have all the landmass in one place. Instead of having, as we do now, lots of seaways between admittedly rather large landmasses, you can imagine those landmasses even larger. Uh, so you, 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 have, you have searing deserts, much, much drier, uh, much colder, much hotter than the ones we have now. Uh, we, we, we're used to major hurricanes in certain parts of the world now, during Pangaea time, and presumably also during Rodinia's time, there were hypercanes, as they were, as they have been called, these these um, storms which were orders of magnitude bigger than the storms we get now. Everything is exaggerated. Everything is uh, drawn to extremes. Now, one of the other extremes, uh, one of the well, one of the major things is is that it causes, it probably causes uh, global climate climatic instability. Uh, because you have so much um, land concentrated in one place, and you have an ocean which probably doesn't circulate properly, which um, and, and and which doesn't do what it does now, which is to distribute heat around the globe in an efficient way, keeping everything nice and equable. Uh, when you have all the land in one place, especially if it's in one hemisphere, it's possible that you might start again. This is a, 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 one of the big speculations of the moment in geology, but it might have been responsible for starting off a snowball event where an unstoppable process of freezing is stimulated by the fact that you have a land at the poles. If you have land at the poles, it's much more likely that it could be, that it will be that they will de develop an ice cap there. And if there's nothing on the rest of the planet to keep the Earth equable, then it's quite possible that the that the Earth will, under certain orbital circumstances, develop these ice caps, which can reach the point where the reflectivity of the Earth to incoming heat is become so great that it can't stop, it reflects more heat, so much heat that it actually goes to completion and the whole globe freezes over. Now, that model, which is called Snowball Earth, that we don't know whether it ever went to a complete snowball. There are those people who say that it did. There are those people who call the slushball people who, who think that it went to a partial snowball with seaways around the equator. 
But nevertheless, these, these, these were major glaciations, much, much more severe than the, than the glaciations we've had relatively recently, like the last one, which only finished 10,000 years ago. These would have been major, major events, and the stress that, that they would have placed life under at the time w must have been extremely severe, and it, it's possible. Um, many people believe that that was the reason why life suddenly, well, I won't say decided, but life suddenly diversified into, in, into more adaptable forms. So some, at some stage, the Earth, as it were, digs itself out of the snowball. It does, it does, it's not a complete shutdown forever. No, that's right. It, it, the, the, the neat thing about the, cobalt, about the snowball theory is, is that it's, it's one of those processes that it has the seeds of its own destruction. Because even though the, the, the Earth becomes a, in the theory, becomes a complete snowball, um, there are always volcanoes which will be still doing their stuff, still belching carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And as they do that, the, the fact that there's no precipitation at all, because we've now gone to a complete snowball, all the weather systems have shut down, gradually the volcanic gases build up in the atmosphere, and they cause catastrophic global warming, which then melts all the ice in a very short period of time, and you have a, a catastrophic end to probably a, a several million year or many, many hundreds of thousands of years glaciation, which could have been almost total. So the, the, that's an extreme end member of that theory, but um, because of the internal process of the Earth, which, which always is, is evolving gases all the time into the atmosphere, it can never be total. It will never, it will never last forever. So it's a very neat theory. Some people think it's too neat, of course. Ted Neal, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> thank you.